It's October 31st, 2022, and this is your DSR Daily Brief. I'm Grant Haver. And I'm Chris Cottonor. Our top stories from international outlets this morning. According to the AP, Brazilians delivered a tight victory to Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva in a bitter presidential election, giving the leftist former president another shot at power in a rejection of incumbent Jair Bolsonaro's far-right politics. Lula received 50.9% of the vote and Bolsonaro received 49.1%, according to the country's election authority. Yet hours after the results were in and congratulations poured in from world leaders, Bolsonaro had yet to publicly concede or react in any way. Bolsonaro's campaign had made repeated, unproven claims of possible election manipulation before the vote, raising fears that, if he lost, he would not accept defeat and try to challenge the results. The Kyiv Independent is reporting that for the third time, Russia has launched a mass attack on Ukraine's energy system during Monday rush hour. Russia's aim, which its leadership publicly admits, is to hinder civilians' access to electricity and heat, potentially inflicting humanitarian catastrophe in Ukraine. At around 8 a.m., several explosions were heard in Kyiv. According to Kyiv Mayor Vitaly Klitschko, Russian forces hit energy infrastructure sites, which caused power and water supply outages in several districts in the capital. He said Russian forces had damaged an energy facility that supplies power to about 350,000 apartments. Russia also hit targets across the country, causing serious damage to critical infrastructure. Ukraine's Air Force reported it downed 44 out of 55 missiles fired at Ukraine this morning. COVID cases in mainland China hit 2,898 on Sunday topping 2,000 for a second straight day and pressuring the country's controversial zero-COVID policy, which has hamstrung the economy and exasperated its citizens. Al Jazeera is reporting that in Guangdong province, manufacturing center Guangzhou has seen a spate of cases over the past week that has closed some districts. Haiju's 1.8 million residents or about 10% of Guangzhou's population, has been the worst hit. The threat of major lockdown would rattle the city and harking back to the nightmarish two-month lockdown Shanghai experienced a few months ago. Over the past week, authorities raced to get a handle on rising cases in Datong, Xining, Nanjing, Xi'an, Guangzhou, Zhengzhou, and Wuhan forcing temporary lockdown measures in some neighborhoods. Elsewhere, Korea's Jun Gang Daily reports that 100 people died Saturday in a horrific crowd crush during the first Halloween celebration since most COVID-19 restrictions were lifted. The tragedy left Korea in shock and wondering how an evening of fun could turn fatal for so many so quickly and how one of Seoul's most iconic locations could be left looking like a war zone in a matter of minutes. As of 11 p.m. Sunday, 154 deaths 
and 132 injuries were confirmed by the Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasure Headquarters. Most were reported to be young women in their 20s. 26 foreigners from 14 countries died. The disaster began sometime after 10 p.m., with the first calls for help received at 10.15 p.m., as people departing the area ran into people arriving, coming together with tragic consequences in tightly packed alleyways. A large number of people simultaneously entered a narrow road near an exit of the Itaewon subway station, about 13 feet wide. Traumatic asphyxia is likely the cause of death in most instances. India's The Hindu is providing live updates on the tragedy in Gujarat. About 141 people have died, while more than 100 others have been admitted to hospital and are under treatment after a colonial-era cable bridge collapsed in Gujarat's Morbi town on Sunday evening, plunging over 350 people into the river. Tomorrow, Prime Minister Narendra Modi will visit the scene of the collapse. Earlier in the day, Prime Minister Modi stated that rescue operations were underway and there would be no laxity in rescue and relief efforts. Oriva Group, which is under scrutiny following the collapse of the suspension bridge, specializes in CFL bulbs, wall clocks, and e-bikes, and it is not known how it managed to get the contract to maintain an over-hundred-year-old bridge. Eyewitnesses said there were several women and children on the British-era hanging bridge when it snapped, plunging them into the water below. Some people were seen jumping on the bridge and pulling its big wires, an eyewitness said. The bridge may have collapsed due to the huge crowd on it, he added. According to the BBC, twin car bomb explosions near a busy junction in Somalia's capital, Mogadishu, killed at least 100 people, President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed says. Among the victims, who were mothers with their children in their arms, the FP news agency quotes the president as saying, he appealed for international medical help to deal with the 300 injured. The president blames the Al-Shabaab militant group for Saturday's attack, which targeted the education ministry. The pro-jihadist Somalia memo website has reported that the group has said it was behind the blasts. An affiliate of Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab has engaged in a long-running conflict with the federal Somalia government. Saturday's blasts happened within minutes of each other, destroying buildings and vehicles in the vicinity. Sky Sports is reporting that Qatar has emptied apartment blocks housing thousands of foreign workers in the same areas in the center of the capital, Doha, where visiting fans will stay during the World Cup, workers who were evicted from their homes have said. They said more than a dozen buildings had been evacuated and shut down by the authorities, forcing the mainly Asian and African workers to seek what shelter they could including bedding down on the pavement outside one of their former homes. The move comes three weeks before the start of the tournament on November 20th, which has drawn intense international scrutiny of Qatar's treatment of foreign workers and its restrictive social laws. A Qatari government official said the evictions are unrelated to the World Cup 
and were designed in line with ongoing comprehensive and long-term plans to reorganize areas of Doha. In lighter news, a painting by abstract Dutch artist Piet Mondrian has been hanging upside down in various museums since it was first put on display 75 years ago, an art historian has found, but warned it could disintegrate if it was hung the right side up now. The Guardian reports that the way the picture is currently hung shows the multicolored lines thickening at the bottom, suggesting an extremely simplified version of a skyline. However, when curator Suzanne Meyer Buser started researching the museum's new show on the Dutch avant-garde artist earlier this year, she realized the picture should be the other way around. A photograph of Mondrian's studio taken a few days after the artist's death and published in American Lifestyle magazine Town and Country in June 1944 also shows the same picture sitting on an easel the other way up. That's all the news we have for you today. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that more people can find the show. If you have a tip, topic, or correction you'd like to flag for us, please email us at podcasts at thedsrnetwork.com. Members of the DSR Network will receive an evening newsletter version of the DSR Daily Brief and bonus weekend briefs. Last weekend, we spoke with Joe Serencione, a nuclear weapons expert, about the newly released Nuclear Posture Review. If you aren't a member, go to thedsrnetwork.com and become a member to make sure you never miss any of our analysis. If you want more in-depth discussion of these issues, be sure to follow the links in the show notes to read our sources and tune into our sister podcasts on the DSR Network. Stay safe and stay tuned to the DSR Daily Brief.